Welcome to Bible Overviews, deep thoughts fermented over time and text. I come to you, Aaron Crew Juice Viverk, and I've got Gumby. Hey, hola. I've got Mike. Howdy. I've got... Oh, God, never mind. Just quiet. I've got Zachariah. And Theo. Hello. <laughs> Theo, you have got a great radio voice. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and tonight we will be sipping on Falling Fruit from Masthead. We set out to create a beer that showcases two of our favorite fruits, tart apples and sweet peaches. This ale was brewed with a gentle malt character to hold up and accentuate the sweet peaches while still finishing as crisp as an apple on a sunny day. Falling fruit is kept unfiltered to preserve all of its ripe fruit flavor and aroma. It's a 5.8 in ABV. Here we go. Nobody reads like you do, Aaron. <laughs> Nobody. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Fallen fruit fermented all the way back from Genesis 3 in honor of George who fell away from this podcast. <laughs> Conveniently. Right. That's okay. I have uh, everything set up for the next time he shows up. <laughs> so right off the bat, a lot of head off of this one. Um, it foamed right up. Beautiful color. Ooh, it's fragrant, though. It's very fragrant. You can see right through it. Oh, wow. That is way fruity. Very fruity, but not sweet at all. I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. You know what? Actually... I'm not going to pour the rest in the cup. Hey. Actually, yeah, it, it actually tastes really mm. a little bit stronger in the, in the can. Really? Yeah. Well, I could see it. Once something hits the glass, it releases. So I could see it. But it's, it's good. Yeah, it's not, it's not sweet, but it's definitely fruity. It has that uh, pleasant aroma. It has a pleasant flavor. Um, I like it. Yeah, I was expecting more of a shandy, but it's, it's not. It's just more... Yeah. Fruit essence in a beer. Right. right. It's almost like the seltzer water I was drinking earlier. Good job, Masthead. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Hey, Theo, how you doing over there? Just got the old H2O stuff, you know. I guess that's what uh, people doing PhDs do is drink water because they can't afford anything else. <laughs> <laughs> we call that a Lake Erie highball. Mm. <laughs> uh, so I'm in good company with David Burnett, you know, just H2O. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he had a he had a, had a really good looking coffee. So, what our listeners don't realize is that you don't come from us from the United States. Well, not today, anyway. <laughs> so let's hear your background. You are from. I'm from the Midwest, you know. All right, so great state of Illinois, oh. <laughs> but. Uh, I've spent the last over a decade in Asia, although I've traveled around the world, and I'm currently in Nepal. So, out of Kathmandu. Nice. Wow. So, literally Kathmandu. See, we just put it in songs. Well, it's it's. I can. I'm not a singer, so I'll just leave that up to you. What What time is it right now there? Oh, I've been up since 4 o'clock in the morning waiting for George. It's about 5.34 in the morning, oh, Monday morning. I'm east of you, so. Yeah, don't feel guilty, George, about that. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you got me out of bed. <laughs> well, we apologize for that, but we are enjoying having you on. Oh, yeah, I'm just having fun. So I, I, you guys have so much fun with George, I just feel like I need to do it, too. <laughs> so question for you then what does a somebody from illinois how do you end up over in Kathmandu? uh it's actually a crazy story i don't know um it's been what about 2007 uh, i felt i was at a well it was interesting because it kind of like this podcast i was at a church uh setting uh, my friend was setting up the sound for a youth event so I was kind of bored waiting on him to set up the sound and then waiting for the program to begin. So I was out in the foyer, and I feel like the Lord had spoke to me that I needed to go to India, and I thought, what in the world? So I knew one person that had gone, and so I called him up and said, hey, 
I really feel like God wants me to go to India. I don't know why. I said, just set the trip up and uh, I'll send you a check. So, um, and he did. And I sent, uh, sent him the check. We got on the plane. We flew over. And it's been about two weeks in the mountains of northern India and really wasn't sure about what God wanted me to do. But by the, by the end of the trip, uh, I had a, a divine appointment with someone and realized I needed to come over full time. So about six months later, after selling everything, I came over full time and served there with the ministry for about eight years. And, uh, and learned a lot, and then, and then God began to reveal to me what I really, He really wanted me to do. We'd been spending uh, those eight years a lot of time and effort in uh, doing uh, work from India into Nepal, and so I actually married a Nepali, Nepalese. So, um, so uh, um, God began to speak to me over the course of a year. He brought someone from Kathmandu into our ministry office and uh, uh, and other people that spoke into my life. And I realized I needed to go to Nepal full time. So in 2016, I ended up in Nepal full time. Huh. Well, that's quite packed a story. My, packed my bags and <laughs> just two suitcases and moved from India to, to Nepal. It so. sounds like the premise of a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I ever get my dissertation done, maybe. <laughs> so you didn't see any uh any yeti up there did you no i haven't i'm not really the tourist I, i'm probably the only lame guy here that has never seen mount everest with his physical eyes so they, they claim because of the lockdown that uh, you could at one point see it from Kathmandu, but at the time i was out in a remote village so i have not laid my physical native eyes on on cat on uh, on mount everest yet so i don't know if you can see it now because they've kind of returned to polluting the air so they've lifted the lockdown a little bit so but yeah i don't i haven't done many of the touristy things yet so i saw a documentary not too long ago where tours were happening there and literally some of the landmarks finding your way on that mountain are dead bodies. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, they, it's uh, wild. They recently uh, cleaned things up for a little bit because it's getting too bad. And uh, when they cleaned up all the trash, which they didn't get at all, but they did it uh, before the lockdown, um, they cleaned up a lot, of, a lot of the trash and they found so many bodies they didn't realize yeah. when they cleaned it up. So they... They're trying to figure out, you know, they want tourists. Uh, tourism is the second largest moneymaker for the nation. Um, and so um, they, they, they want tourists. So they changed a lot of the laws in regards to, uh, you know, but they, they didn't quite get it all the way through because they, they're afraid to make it too, too much laws and then people won't come. And then the lockdown, the virus came in the lockdown, so it kind of ruined everything. But yeah, at the, toward the end of the last season, they brought down a lot of trash and they, they couldn't believe how many bodies they end up finding. Um, they're also, uh, uh, years ago, I think the British, of course, uh, but whoever, were uh, instrumental in measuring the mountain, but because of the recent earthquakes in 2015, and we even had some just recently, uh, where I was at in the village, we had another one. Uh, the original ones were over seven point, and this this what we experienced was along the lines of a five point zero, four point nine. Um, but uh, they're remeasuring the mountain, and Nepal wants to do it themselves this time. So to see if it's uh, shrunk because of the earthquakes. But hmm. so I don't know if they're going to go up there uh, and clean some more of the trash and maybe find more bodies. But you're right. Uh, they found a ton of bodies and brought them down from the mountain uh, in the last last years at the end of the last season. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I wonder who drew the uh, the short straws that had <laughs> grabbed the bodies well, and bring them down. They, they didn't know they were going to find bodies. They were just cleaning the trash because, you know, you don't bring it back with you, you know. You just leave it there and it, it freezes or whatever. So. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Well, I would like the, you know, the professional... Acres of people who do it, like plan it out. They were like landmarks. Like they knew where to go based on like a dead body. Like that's just wild. Like when you see that. Yeah, it's very difficult. You have to acclimate yourself. Uh, yeah. You can't go up high, too high, fast. Right now, the Chinese and the Indians are fighting over their border. And uh, 
you know, they, the Chinese have been uh, moving troops and all kinds of things up to the border, and, and the Indians are kind of ke- playing catch-up. And uh, you, get, you cannot move troops into the area in the high elevations too quickly hmm. because of that disease that if you move too fast— and so they've had many people get sick, and some of them die because uh, you cannot go, you know, climb so high so fast. So you can't move your troops in there. They have to take their time to slowly acclimate. So you you have that issue, the oxygen levels, you have the whole cold climate, everything. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah, Doctor Strange movie, it wouldn't work. You know, he cannot just be that high. You know, <laughs> that's Hollywood. Mm. So you have to acclimate. So Yeah. Well, I guess we know who the Marvel fan in the, in the uh, room is. <laughs> well, it's pretty popular around here. It's not every day, you know. I think what was it, Expendables two and and Indiana Jones and a few others that that record films here. So it's pretty pretty popular when someone comes and films a film in your country and you're quite small. So wow, that's kind of cool. And then. Also, before we go too far, we have Zachariah in the background that we've been trying to pull into the podcast for a while. <laughs> How's it going? Jason, Jason. Blasting out this stuff here. Yeah, if you can speak up a little bit. All right, yeah, it's pretty decent. There you go, that's better. So less blasting out all this quarantine stuff. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and he's done quite a bit of research, um, and he has a, a plethora of documents and books, and uh, he's actually been working with Theo on some stuff. So, hmm, okay. And where are you based, Zachariah? Oh, I'm down uh, here, Houston area, Texas. All right. Yeah. So, and uh, there was a he's he's one of the Magi. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. Uh, a lot of the research that they've done in the background has been featured on the podcast and on the show. So that's why I've been trying to pull them in for forever. <laughs> Coming in and out of the cold here. <laughs> now, are you Catholic? Uh, no. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty much in, in between uh, things right now. Oh, no. But I, I, do have, I do have a lot of uh, intersecting, intersecting uh, stuff that I deal with. Theological wise or uh, scholarship wise, mm-hmm. so that's always interesting. It is. He's known in certain uh, circles. He's known as the Hound, <laughs> but but I've given him this distinction when it comes to understanding all these things. I say he has his finger in just about every pie, so he doesn't <laughs> land anywhere because he's always got you know a taste of what's going on in just about every little corner mm. to have an idea. So an inkling. So he, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, I, mean, I try to help out where I can. <laughs> yeah, and he helps a lot. Like you guys on your podcast, and yeah, some of my projects. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's done quite a bit of scholarship uh, in the background. Some of the stuff he writes kind of blows me away. It's like, wow, that's that's more wordy than the way I would have put it. <laughs> and he's not even Catholic, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, is Theo Catholic? What's that? I'm sorry, Theo, are you Catholic? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm kind of all over the places myself as well. I've had different journeys with different time periods of different peoples, and now that I'm in Nepal, I'm just, um, I, I, I've been a part of the Baptist here, and I'm doing a PhD at a Baptist university, but okay. I'm just kind of open to a lot of things because um, I'm trying to uh, incorporate everyone here. Um, in America, this is an example. In America, you have tons of different types of Baptists. They can be just about anything. <laughs> but in Nepal, you only have one Baptist denomination. So, oh. um, so uh, I, I want to be open to everything at the moment. So, yeah, I'm just kind of open and just wherever God has, has got me at the time. But I've, I've done lots of different traditions in my past. So, yeah. Wow. That's, that's, well, we appreciate the openness. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and then um, Heiser has actually inspired some of what you do, right? Yeah, it was a big part. Um, <laughs> I went home uh, in uh, 2016 uh, 
and I just moved to Nepal. And I'd explained to everybody that I'm no longer in India. Most people think that Nepal is a part of India. Uh, and right now the Chinese would like to say otherwise, and Nepal just wants to be by itself. But anyway, uh, there's a local saying here that uh, that India and China are like two elephants that meet in a field. And whether they fight or whether they dance in love, Nepal's the grass between them and still going to get trampled. So, <laughs> Ouch. Interesting. Ouch. So, yeah, that's the local wow. saying here. But anyway, kind of interesting. So, so yeah, Nepal is independent. It's It's got one of the distinctions of never being owned or controlled by any colonial power. It's always been independent. So, yeah. So, anyway, but it has that distinction currently. But the Chinese seem to. The Tibet uh, government is, uh, uh, that's kind of exiled. Not the Dalai Lama, but the government itself is actually concerned for Nepal and 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 worried. So, um, but yeah, so Nepal's always been on its own per se. So they're trying to. They're a Hindu kingdom, but uh, they, you know, they've uh, opened their borders for the mountains and it brought the gospel in. And people, missionaries along the borders, have tried to work for years, and they've had to break through. Some Catholics did some work a few centuries ago, but it didn't stick. And uh, there is one Catholic church here. There used to be two, um, but uh, it kind of it, it kind of died off. So uh, the other one, mm. so um, it didn't really stick. And they were they were thought to be like British spies or something. So they were kind of <laughs> kicked out of the country. But uh, in the in the fifties, interesting uh, missionaries began to come in, and then of course. When they opened up for tourism, um, it brought the gospel in in a lot of ways. And then the 2015 earthquakes had a really big influence. I think in about 2012, they did a survey, uh, 2011, 2012, for the last census. And at that time, that Nepal was slated to be the fastest growing church percentage-wise in all of Asia because the gospel was really coming in with the earthquake uh, the response by the Christians around the world uh, brought brought so much into the country that, um, it, you know, in the last decade, it, it just the church has grown to huge proportions. But at the same time, persecution has come because of it. So, hmm. so yeah. So as the uh, did you make a reference previously about the prosperity gospel? Oh, yeah, it's here. Everything's here. That's the problem. So that's why I'm kind of open. So I'm not necessarily tied to one group. So uh, a lot of my, well, there's a lot of projects I want to do as soon as I finish my PhD. Um, uh, but that's one of them I've been asked to write on because it's very popular here. A lot of my students ask questions in regards to it. And there's a lot of abuse, of course, just like it is over there um, where they teach the things. and And so... When they had their earthquakes, it's it's interesting. They had their earthquakes. And so um, in India, in the mountains, there's a place called Sikkim um, in the northern parts of India. It's just, if you look at the map of India, it looks like a thumb raised up, you know? You know, like Arthur Fonzarelli off of Happy Days, you know, the thumb <laughs> up, you know? So that little thumb is called Sikkim. And originally, all these people were one, but uh, the British wanted the uh, tea gardens. You know, they got to get the queen some tea, you know. So they, they kind of marched up, but they ran into the Gorkha soldiers, and they'd never met anything like it. So the Gorkhas, Nepali soldiers, were like, they would shoot them, and they'd keep coming. <laughs> they didn't have guns, but they had their big, huge knives, you know. So they, they would take their machete-type knives and just, you know, the British would shoot them in the shoulder as, as soldiers shoulder and they'd keep coming at them and they're like wow so the british like have hired these guys these guys are famous soldiers when donald trump met north korea uh, who did the security the nepali gorkas you know <laughs> so interesting they're like wow. we're known for like the best soldiers ever so yeah. but anyway the british couldn't take nepal and so they did get the thumb they did get darjeeling and they got the tea gardens of Sikkim. And so there was a guy like Nostradamus over there, some great Christian prophet, supposedly, you know, he predicted that there was going to be this great earthquake. And, and there was in Nepal. And so everybody's like, he's on YouTube. And it was like, wow, you predicted an earthquake. Well, you know, I mean, anybody can predict stuff. So, so 
you know, all these prophets and they all know what's going to happen. And so uh, a fledgling community, it's a church that's, you know, from the 1950s, born in the 1950s. Uh, the charismatic uh, movement that, that swept across the world in the 60s uh, took over. Um, sad, there's many tourists that come here looking for liturgy and they can't find it. They can't find high church here because the charismatic wave pretty much has 90% of the churches uh, worship in that manner. And so mm. people looking for a higher church experience is very difficult for them to find liturgy. But uh, because of that, the influence of a young fledgling church. And so they've been, um, with their newfound faith, they've been uh, very much um, uh, influenced by the charismatic movement and thus the prosperity gospel. And yeah, if you'd say there's an earthquake coming, it happens, wow, you must be from God. So there's a lot of cults that come out of especially you know, we have our cults that we're familiar with, uh, whether you where, you where you put different ones in, in your view. But uh, Jehovah's Witness usually gets the top of the list. They're here. Mormons are here. Uh, different groups are here, mm-hmm. obviously, working. But there's a lot from South Korea, which people don't realize. In uh, South Korea, some of the largest churches in the world. But then they have uh, Aung San Hong, who, you know, came down and said, I'm Jesus. You know, and uh, interesting story uh, for your audience. Um, he, uh, his first wife, uh, claimed that she was the bride of Christ. And, and so he wrote a oh, book boy. saying, no, she's not. I'm Jesus, <laughs> but she's nothing. You know, so then uh, he got remarried. And when he died, his second wife. It's a good thing they the clarified that. His first wife. <laughs> and she says, I'm New Jerusalem. I'm the bride of Christ. I'm all these things in Revelation. And they're very big over here. Um, that that church is huge over here. So Mother God Church is what the common pop language is. They have a long title. I don't know what it is, but anyway. So they go around and they 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 teach their the Bible and they they tell the people that that we're Christian. Uh, we'll take your son to Korea for a visa and job and three years Bible training, and we'll give them you know all these things. And so the parents are like, yes, please. Please, because there's no jobs here. There's nothing mm-hmm. here. So um, so they go, and they, they get taught all this stuff for three years, and then they come back, and they try to evangelize everyone else. And so there's a lot of cults here. So they, they fall prey to so many things because theology is, is uh, the, the theology community is, is trying to rise up. They just now got their MDiv program through. My pastor uh, was under a hybrid program for about six years, and now they have like three universities offering uh, MDivs in-country uh, for the first time, and they're trying to move toward offering eventually their own PhD programs in-country. Otherwise, you've had to go outside the country uh, to get training. And, of course, everybody wants to leave anyway, but uh, it's very difficult to get people to go outside and get trained and then come back and try to live for the people. And, and, and so the theology here is very young, um, and sad to say, I know that uh, Juice won't like this, but um, historical theology is like nil. And uh, I talked to one of the heads of, of theology from America that used to be here full time, and now he's he's had to go back to the States. But um, when he was outlining, you know, the steps to get to a PhD, and he's like, um, uh, unfortunately, we just don't have much historical theology um, you know, that there's not much emphasis on the fathers or anything um, because mm. we're trying to do all the other things. So it's kind of like last in the list. And so it's not, you know, being done. It's, it, maybe it's the highest fruit on the tree. I don't know. And they, they just haven't climbed that high to get that high fruit. I don't know. And so they're, they're grabbing the low hanging fruit. So, mm. yeah, it, it's very, very primitive. And so they fall prey to things like the prosperity gospel or these cults or things because they don't have knowledge. Many people in the villages, uh, to be a pastor, all you have to do is be able to read, you know, because most people, um, <clears throat> older people in the village, they don't even know how to read. Wow. So it's actually, if you can read, you're a pastor. It's actually very humbling to hear because we still have so much of that here, you know, but yet we consider ourselves so advanced, so privileged, so exceptional. So, I mean, keep on going, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But yet we still have so much of that here. So, it, you know, it, 
for me, it makes me self-reflect and say, you know, how young are we spiritually still here? Yeah. You know? Well, and and Juice has told me that, uh, you know, he became Catholic, and I heard his testimony. I'm sure the listeners have all heard it. Oh, once or twice. Even uh, Dr. Heiser (laughs) mentioned that he's teaching at his parish. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about... Uh, the rich tradition of the Catholic Church. Of yeah. course, they're they're opposed to private interpretation, which is the big problem. You know, when you have somebody coming in and say, "I predicted the earthquakes," and I'm, you know, you know, I'll tell you what the Bible says. Private interpretation, and most most Catholics don't know the scriptures. There's there's a lot of them that do, obviously, but there's some that don't know. They 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 just, but they do. They know it. They know the liturgy. They just don't know, you know, where it's at in their Bible, but. You know, he's able to teach a lot of things in his church as a new Catholic, but he, because he knows the Bible so well. There's a lot of people that don't know the Bible. And when I came over in 2016, I was following, you know, what I, what I felt God was telling me. And I didn't know what he wanted me to do. And then um, what happened was uh, I went home in 2016 to get back to Juice's question. Um, and mm-hmm. a guy... Uh, that, that has introduced some really crazy stuff to me in the past. And I'm like, I really don't know. He gave me some books and I'm like, they're still in America. So if he listens to this podcast, I'm sorry, but I was like, that's, that was some really strange stuff. <laughs> so that was on a, on a previous trip. I'm like, I don't have room in my suitcase for that. So I left it. But he says, you got to get Logos Bible software. I'm like, who can afford that? You know, that's like, they don't want your right arm. They want like 10 arms, you know, who can afford that? (laughs) You know, and you got to listen to Mike Heiser. I'm like, you know, the last stuff you gave me is pretty crazy. So I'm like, I I don't know. So whatever, you know, so it's like just about like what we're doing right here. You know, just three of us gathered around a table, just shooting the breeze. And, and, and the two of us listen to this guy and he's given some really crazy stuff in the past. And so the, the other guy and I are like looking at each other and I'm like, okay. So then I come back to Nepal and I'm like, okay, I feel like God wants me to teach. That's my greatest gift. And so, um, but where am I going to teach? How am I going to teach people that don't understand? So I get the scene. And so God begins to open doors, and then I got an opening to teach at a at a college. But then I needed to uh, finish my master's. I hadn't finished my master's degree, and obviously they wanted me to get my PhD. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? So God began to open doors. I found a university, it's Baptist University, that that uh, was able to allow me to get in their program and transfer in everything and do. And uh, so I was like, that's great. And so. Um, I met with my advisor and he says, so how are you going to study? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're in Nepal. <laughs> Obviously there's nothing there. And I hadn't met Zachariah yet. So I didn't have the like PDF King of the world, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, how are you going to do your research? I'm like, I don't know. The PDF He says, well, you're going to have to get something like Logos Bible software. I'm like, Okay, so that was the door that I realized I needed to get that. So when I went and got Logos Bible software, of course, when I pull up everything and start trying to figure out what to get, there's Mike Heiser all over Logos Bible software. I'm like, okay, so then I get his stuff. So I'm working on my my master's, and I'm like trying to teach classes. So they 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 hired me on a on a January of 2017 to teach one class as a as a test to see, you know, okay, we don't know you. Um so let's see what happens. Uh so that week finished and they called me as I got home they called me and says on Monday you have another class. <laughs> so after one week I'm supposed to be on trial for three months and then after one week they're like, You have another class on Monday. So I'm trying to figure out how to do my masters and teach two classes at the drop of a hat. <laughs> and then, you know, at the same time I'm like trying to figure out what to do to teach these classes and then I'm like, Okay, Heiser just keeps popping up. I'm like, All right, I've got to see this Heiser stuff and so I started uh, messing with his podcast and started messing with his book, The Unseen Realm, and I was immediately hooked. It was just like it drew me in. And those of you, even the listeners or uh, those of you uh, that, that are familiar with this podcast and, of course, listen to his previous podcast here or visit his podcast, you know. But all of that stuff about it, the supernatural and everything, which is great for where I'm at, you know. Uh, I'm in a world of 330 million gods, you know. So mm. 
all of that fits. But what really grounded me into Heiser was he got me into scholarship. He got me into, he became my mentor because I, I, I'm doing all my degree remote online. So, and, and I'm at a very small university. So, you know, they do the best they can, but usually when you pursue academic degree, you go find somebody to mentor you and you go to their college because you want them to teach you and they're sitting there because everything you need is there because that's where they study so they're they're there if you've listened to uh, mike heiser's podcast naked bible podcast with uh david instone brewer on divorce and remarriage he talks about why he's sitting where he's at in uk because in walking distance he can go to oxford cambridge i mean he's got like all the major libraries so that's why he's there so i begin to through heiser this whole paradigm shift into the supernatural view, worldview of the Bible. At the same time, I begin to understand scholarship and how you're to approach the text. And it's not private interpretation that you enter into the world of academics and you're entering into a conversation that's been going on for thousands of years, not 2,000 years, but more than 3,000 years. And you enter into that conversation and you begin to look at the text the way it was received. You know, um, you begin to look at Genesis, how when the ink was wet, you know, when the author finished and the ink is wet still, it hasn't dried yet. Okay. Or it may not be ink, but anyway, whatever they used, you know, um, depending. But what did the message mean back then? And trying to get that. And so all the things that I learned from from Dr. Heiser's work of, of the supernatural worldview of the Bible, but more importantly, at the same time, I began to learn how to study the Bible properly. And his first, you know, 35 episodes before Trey came on and, and you know, trying to figure out all that and begin to, to work through the Bible. And then I was able to bring that to the classroom. And my students were like floored, you know, and bringing Bible project videos to them and, and introducing biblical theology and, and bringing all these things. And then, of course, uh, through through Heiser's community, um, back when I was able to be on Facebook, I met Juice, I met Zachariah and many others. And so um, that's how I began to have conversations with them and begin to understand things and and then begin to ask Zachariah so many questions and he keeps answering them. So he hasn't <laughs> gone away yet. So. <laughs> So, yeah, I continue. At one time, I was doing my master's thesis, and I was teaching at a number of institutions. I had I was teaching a course load of eight subjects. So in, in six semesters, three years' time, I taught 20 different subjects, and many of those subjects multiple times. Mm. So, yeah, well, keep moving so, you around. <laughs> so uh, my course load of teaching has just been absolutely ridiculous because uh, situations happen over here. Most pastors are not well paid, obviously, at all, unless they can find some foreign sponsors. And usually the pastor of the church is the uh, financial also of the church. So the church is operating off of whatever the pastor brings. Mm -hmm. And so if he doesn't have foreign support, or if he does and he's using it to help so many families in the church, uh, often they have to get jobs. So often they teach, you know, like at a Bible college. Um, that's one of the ways they can do. And then they try to get job that way. And so, but then their ministry constantly pulls them. And so they, they don't always make it up. But um, I, I take my teaching very seriously. And it's, it's, it's what God has called me to do primarily. So then I'm there. I show up every day if it rains or whatever, you know, I'm there. And so um, I'm consistent. So I, I usually end up taking classes a lot of times from, uh, different pastors or whatever, for whatever reason, they have to drop their class and they can't teach it because of their ministry requires them or something. And so they're not able to do it. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that was a nightmare teaching uh, very early in the morning, getting out on my bicycle and going to different institutions, teaching, coming home late at night and then trying to figure out somewhere in between to study all the material I needed to teach the classes, but at the same time try to write something of my thesis and get it done it was crazy times so do all my classes and teach at the same time so it was crazy no doubt. i think i had six classes i was i was trying to deal with too myself 
So I was trying to finish up, you know, different materials for different classes. It was crazy. It was crazy times. Yeah. So unreal. Yeah. And with the pressure that's going on, because you said that there's um, that the, that the government itself with the pandemic and the shifting back and forth has been causing issues for you as well. Oh, yeah, the church in general is facing lots of, of problems. The church, Christianity, like I said, it's an anomaly. It showed up in the 50s. I mean, they got rid of it when they got rid of the Catholics, you know, several hundred years ago. It showed up, and, and there's no, um, there's nothing legal. When they created the Constitution, they went through a long, long civil war to get rid of their king. And Paul's history is a bunch of kingdoms, hmm. and then eventually one king ruled them all. Um, so, you know, king of the hill. He threw all the other kings off the, the mountain, you know, <laughs> so he took over and, uh, you know, that family ruled for a long time. And uh, um, finally, you know, the communist pressure from from the Maoist uh, and different parties uh, finally uh, through a, a very vicious civil war uh, finally broke through and uh, they began to hammer out a constitution. And uh, but in that constitution, it's a it was a Hindu kingdom, and now there's Buddhists here, there's Muslims here, and there's Christians and different things. But the Christians have no legal standing whatsoever. It wasn't built into the constitution at all. Hmm. Yeah, totally opposite of America. You have a you have a a group of people who created a constitution with Christianity uh, basically deleted, um, the opposite with no view of Christianity whatsoever. So there's no uh, legal standing for churches at all. Um, one of the things that I, I remember, there's a there's one of the oldest churches in Kathmandu. Um, you know, uh, they bought their ground, and so your land, you know, you know, you're buying land, or they're constantly selling land. So it could have had a hundred owners before. You know, it's just been sold, bought, sold so many times down through the centuries or whatever tracking it through and and since the civil war you know different ones buy it and sell it so in the constitution there's a law that says that if a ground a piece of property used to belong to a temple at any time in its history then it can it can always revert back um it can always revert back to that ground to the temple and so a church one of the oldest churches in nepal survived the earthquake they you know spent all this time and effort to get all this money to buy the land and to build this beautiful church um that part of that land used to be owned way back when by a temple it's part of the temple grounds mm. and now the government wants to raise the church and say no the land has to go back to the temple because it was holy ground it originally belonged to the temple it needs to go back to the temple it cannot worship other god you know it cannot be so one of the oldest churches you're talking about, you know, when hikers hike and they they see dead bodies, this is the way to go. Well, when Christians look at the church in Nepal and their church history, there's that church, you know. Well, the government wants to raise it now. Mm. So I don't know the virus kind of slowed things down if they're still going to raise that church, but it's very difficult. So the government is very anti-Christian. The, the people are anti-Christian. I'm trying to get land of my own because at any time the landlord can throw me out because I'm a Christian. He disagrees. So um, it's very difficult. Um, we just closed our church. We planted the church and uh, the place we're renting, it's not possible to uh, in, the, in the pandemic to afford to pay the rent, especially when you're not using it. Uh, churches are all mm. closed and, and we don't know if they're going to be allowed to open because they have no legal standing. Uh, no church really has technically the deed in its name because they, they're not a legal entity. So it has to be in some person's name. Uh, even bank accounts can't be necessarily in a church's name. So, um, so you know, if a landlord can just tell you to get out because, you know, it's happened numerous times. One of our partner churches, they, they, the landlord said, go, get out. We don't want Christians meeting here. We don't want virus. That was before the, Nepal actually took the virus very seriously, but they, they were kicked out because they were afraid. In South Korea, uh, a woman went to church, and the, the South Koreans are one of the most prepared people in the world for the virus because they've already dealt with SARS and MERS and all this stuff. They, they did the research. They have all the protocols in place. But this lady 
broke protocol, went to church and got hands laid on her to be healed in Jesus' name. And hundreds of people from that, these are some of the largest churches in the world, hundreds of people from that meeting got sick. And within a matter of, you know, weeks, we're talking almost 10,000 or 4,000 people got sick in Korea because one lady went to church. And so the Nepal government's like, oh, we got to shut down churches. Mm. You know, we can't have people because the Christians are the source of the virus. So wow. all that stuff, you have all this this idea that the Christians are bad, that they, because they gather, because they gather every week, because they lay hands on each other, they touch each other, they, you know, all these things, we got to get rid of the church. So it's been a very difficult time. So we, we, the pastor had, he lost his job, a Christian college closed down indefinitely because they just can't raise funds during the virus. Um, and they're not getting funding. And, you know, everyone's focused on the virus in their own country. So mm. mission funding has gone way down. Um, so they had to close their campus. So he, he was living there. He was uh, getting everything there as warden, all of his food, everything. So all he has is his clothes. So he's he's been asked by the end of the month, July, to get out. And he has to find a place to live, which is very difficult to find uh, someone who rent a room to a Christian. And then what's going to happen to the church, we don't know. Uh, churches are trying to meet online. But, you know, how to find another place. And people are saying, no, we don't want Christians. Um, want, we don't want a church. We don't want you to rent our, our piece of property. Of all the Baptist churches in the Kathmandu Valley, um, there's only two Baptist churches that actually own the property. Everyone else is renting. So because I'm with the Baptists, I kind of get their 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 uh, statistics. But uh, I'm sure the same for a lot of other churches. They don't own the property. They just rent. Mm. And uh, so um, a lot of the number one moneymaker for Nepal is people go outside the country and work in another nation. And now they're all getting laid off. Well, not all, but there's many getting laid off. And they're being sent back to Nepal. So they're going to be coming back. They're going to be looking for jobs. They're going to be looking for places to stay. So it's going to get very difficult to find rooms as it is because all these people are coming back by the droves. Every day the airplanes are bringing in people. And they're all going to be looking for places to rent, jobs, food. And, you know, it's going to be very difficult to find a room. And if you're a Christian, they're like, no, we don't want you. We don't want you. And if you're definitely going to have church here, no, we don't want you. You can't worship here. So. It's it's extremely difficult for the church because they have no standing, you know. Um, they're in the minority, but they're 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 treated. They have a caste system here uh, based on when the one king that brought that kicked all the other kings off and took over the country. They developed a caste system, like the Bible, uh, because uh, this is Bible over Bruce. In the Bible, you have two tribes yes, it that is. Are, uh, of the 12 that stick out, you have the Judah tribe, that's the rulers, and you have the priestly caste of the tribe, that's the Levites. They have the same in, in the Hindu religion. They have the Brahmins, who are the highest because of the priest, but then they have the rulers, the Chetris. Um, they're the ruling class, and so they were the, 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 the ones that did government, so they had all the power to do everything. And so they're the two high castes. But you have many low castes, and you're, you're familiar with Probably, uh, generally, most people are familiar with the low caste, the Dalits, the untouchables. But when you're a Christian, you you're, you're no longer caste. You're not you're not low caste. You're outcast. You know, you're just not. You're nothing. You know, so you're worse because you've rejected. You know, we're a Hindu kingdom now. We're we're a democracy, but we're still Hindu. Um, and so. You've rejected 330 million gods. You know, surely you can find one god. Just add Jesus. There's you go. Surely you can just accommodate. Just add Jesus. Make it 33 million, 330 million and one. You know, what's the big deal? Why can't you just get along? You know, so it's very difficult. So Christians are considered of no caste. And so, um, one of my early trips to Nepal, I was out in the village, and uh, the guy that could speak English was Brahmin because his father had the money to send him to uh, the, this boarding school where he could learn English. So he stopped by stopped by in the village where I was at and talked to me a lot. And uh, he came one day, he was talking to me, he said he's quite thirsty, you know. And so he'd gone down to the low castes, and the mountain at the top is the road where all the Brahmins live, and then down next is like the Chetris, and then 
it goes down and when you get to the bottom of the valley the down of the low spot that's where the dalits are at so he'd gone down there to do what they call puja worship you know to do what he does as a priest and then they give him money uh paisa in the nepali language they give him money and so he goes and does what he does and they give him money but then he cannot drink their water okay which is in their language is is pani but anyway so he can't drink their water Okay, so he's gone down there, and then he has to climb back up to get to his house. So he's all tired, and he's sweating, and it's, it's quite warm. It was in the hot season, and so he's he's wanting some water. But he couldn't drink their water, okay, because they're low caste. But he could take their money. I couldn't understand. So drink their pani, but not take. But he could take their paisa, but not their pani. Take their water, but not their money. So I, I you know, no, I can't take your your water but i'll take your money i think it'd be the opposite but anyway being you know ministry or whatever but so he stopped by our place to get something to drink because he could drink the water where i was staying because they're higher caste so i can drink the water here you know some people can uh come and sit on your porch but they cannot come in your house and some mm -hmm. people can't even step on your porch and some people can't even really go to your village at all. They're not supposed to come. So you're talking a caste system, you know, and then Christians are even worse than that. So the, the Hindus don't want you inside their property. They don't want you there because you, they'll be cursed by their gods because you come and you're Christian and you're not part of the caste. So, um, so yeah, it's very difficult for Christians here. So the persecution of the government and everything. So, yeah, it's quite difficult to... To be a Christian in Nepal. That's interesting because you'd think if there's that many gods, eh, what's one more, right? <laughs> exactly. That's the logic. Why, why, what's the problem with one more? I mean, what's the big deal? So, so let go me, ahead and do what you do. That's fine. Let me know, let me ask a question right. in uh in honor of George. <laughs> all right. To honor George. So I hope it's and I don't mean it to be offensive at all. Uh well, but I'm I'm, I'm taking I'm taking off my Christian hat, and I'm going to ask this question. You know, historically, you're telling me that Christians have been rejected there and pushed out. You know, for a long time, and because they have their culture, they have their religions, and that's what they want. So I could see George asking. He was like, "Why do Christians feel the need to keep on forcing a different theology, a different religion?" in an area that's not theirs when they don't want it. You know what I mean? So if, I don't know if that question makes sense. And I, and I don't necessarily mean this toward you, <laughs> but just in Christianity in general, going into Nepal in that area. Well, if Gumby can answer the question as a recovering evangelical, he obviously <laughs> knows the great commission and why, most even I do, I do, but to I took off here. my Christian hat for this question. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm asking Gumby to, mm -hmm. to answer. He understands from an evangelical perspective why uh, the Great Commission and everything. Of course, uh, even uh, Dr. Heiser mentioned that in the last podcast that he was on about the, the importance of the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. But then, Juice as a Catholic, you know, um, their higher church, their higher tradition is is not known for being so evangelical that, you know, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to burn in hell kind of thing, you know, mm. preaching that fire, hellfire, and brimstone. So they have a little bit different take on on that. And so yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to, to understand um, in what Dr. Heiser does for any of your audience uh, and John Walton, uh, they do something called comparative studies where they understand the old testament um not from the fathers not from the new testament walton is very opposed to that they understand the old testament and the israelite religion by comparing it with the religions surrounding them in the ancient near east it's called comparative studies but there's another field that, that i don't know if there's any podcast on um where certain like systematic theologians have gone into what's called comparative theology. And one of my former students um, is doing a master's in math because he can't get a master's, you know, he can't get the support or whatever he needs to get a master's in divinity. Um, he's an incredible guy. 
But this is how, let me let my student answer your question, George. <laughs> okay. Um, he thinks that, uh, well, it was said like this. In South India, I was told by Nepali, one of my colleagues that teaches at the college. In South India, there's a famous guru who said that you can't believe Christians because Christians, although they only have one God, Jesus, they don't agree on Jesus. You can't find two Christians to agree, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, my colleague said, if you stop and talk to a Hindu on the street and ask him questions, and then the next Hindu that comes to you and ask him, you're going to get probably two entirely different answers. There's no two Hindus that necessarily agree on what they do. Of course, they have 330 million gods, you know. <laughs> uh, so you have this diverse kind of thing going on. But what my student said is, None of it's necessarily what you call orthodox. Mm. So most people on the street have a pop religion, like you mentioned earlier. Most even Christians don't even really know what the Bible says. You know, for years I read the Bible and I thought, for sure, I knew what it meant by the Holy Spirit. And now I study it out and go, that's not at all what it meant. You know, it, it, it can't mean that. I've been wrong about so many things. That's why I love theology. It's just changing me. But... He said the same thing about the Hindu religion, the Buddhist religion, or the Muslim religion. Now, when you go into it academically and you try to get true orthodox belief, it's not what the people on the street believe. And what he wants to do is he wants to get orthodox Christianity and what the Bible really says and what the church, the tradition, what, what is really meant academically, like Heiser or, or some of these scholars, and then compare it to Buddhism from their scholar and compare it to, um, you know, Hindu. So I asked my philosophy professor who taught world religions, um, and I never got to take that class. I was so sad because it was always overbooked, mm. and I, I couldn't get it in my schedule in my undergrad. I said, you know, I, th I think they're going to ask me to teach world religions. They didn't, but I thought they were. I said, how do you do it? He says, well, I just tell my students to buy the cheapest copy off of Amazon of, of their the text of the other religions, like the Quran and the Gita and all these other books. Yeah. And then I have them read the text for themselves. Join us for the rest of the conversation in part two.